0: Welcome back to another episode of The Mission Daily, I'm Chad Grills. The Mission Daily is your number one podcast for accelerated learning. I'm joined by Stephanie Postles.
1: Hello, hello everyone. Thanks for joining us. We're excited. So last time we talked about how to make sure technology served you. In this episode, we're going to talk about the skills to actually master that technology. So we're going to go through filtering and synthesizing the technology that you're using to make sure you get the best out of it.
0: Yeah, these are Words that we've brought up before, um, but we want to go into more practical examples of how to filter this endless stream of information and then uh, capitalize on it. So that's where I think a lot of self-help things or science-backed ways to do A, B, and C fall really short because they do not take a first principles type approach to these technology platforms. And as you alluded to in the last episode, that's the one thing that when we have emerging technology that rarely gets created until we have, you know, it's much, much later and the history is being written. So.
1: So how can we think about curating technology? Are there tools? Are there apps? Or is it just a Chad Grills personal way of curating things? How do we <laughs> think about it?
0: So I, ho- I hope not. Uh, I hope it's been drawn from people that are way smarter. And in my, in my case, it has. So like all of these inspirations typically come from uh, elsewhere. It's very, very rare when, whenever we do something, uh, you know, original. So, Maybe there are a couple of things in here that I've uh, developed originally, but of course, like everything is standing on the, the shoulders and progress of those who came before. And we're very fortunate that a lot of great minds throughout history have already pioneered and shown us how to use and not be used by certain types of technology. Uh, a great example is books. So when Gutenberg uh, created the Gutenberg Press, and he, he basically created a whole new world And we'll get into this person in later episodes. We'll probably do an entire episode on what happened after the Gutenberg revolution of the press uh, and the printing press, because it is not what many people might be thinking. And there was a great media theorist and philosopher and technologist and generally a genius named Marshall McLuhan, who analyzed what happened to uh, culture and society after people started reading text, written words from left to right. And he makes a very compelling case, which is a bit terrifying when when you start to dive into it and consider the full implications of, so he has a book called The Gutenberg Galaxy, but he argues that we are still living in the aftermath and the the trade-offs and the iatrogenics, which is a word that Taleb uses a lot, which is the, uh, it's a medical term to denote harm done by the healer. So basically like unintended harm. So, anytime we get technologies, there are obviously trade offs. We talked about some of the unintended consequences and some of the harmful side effects. And McLuhan pointed out many of them from text. And this is like, this is really hard to consider when, you know, I look at the wall over here, I'm surrounded by books. I think that there are far more, there's far more upside in using books and reading a lot than there is downside. But there are some serious trade offs and there's some serious limitations that we don't even realize that we're entering into when we fill our mind with um, linear print from left to right all the way down a page and all the way down another page. What is the
1: left to right down a page thing? What do you mean? Is that Just like like how how text is. Well, he he was just
0: saying that because text is laid out that way, it creates a whole host of uh, unintended biases and people don't realize how deeply that technology is influencing their thing, their thinking, how they build buildings, how they... uh, structure contracts how they basically do anything and everything it has all been influenced by this this text so and he's
1: not like a book burner like that movie we watched oh not what at all far from that? it Fahrenheit
0: four fifty one. 451
1: Fahrenheit. yeah that was interesting yeah based on ray, so ray bradbury's
0: uh classic okay. uh, by the same name uh, which it. is a, which is an awesome book and the hbo remake of it was was pretty cool too yeah, so okay. i didn't yeah i didn't mean to get that far into the McLuhan tangent and it's again we have to do a full episode because there's yeah. so much context and backstory that we need to present. Yeah, but
1: pull back, get back into curation. Bottom line.
0: <laughs> so curation, you, ha- you have to get savvy with how you are getting your information sources. So I think first and foremost is to, there's another great book by Thomas Carlyle, which is called On Heroes and Hero Worship. Again, this is something that uh, people, a lot of people don't like to consider, but I would say that the best way to get started with curation is to think like, who's, who's heroic? And I, I don't mean living people. I think that Finding some people who have uh, passed away or have become martyrs or basically think of the ultimate epitome of a human being and find and basically allowing them starting with them as your curation source. And people get very uncomfortable when you talk about a book that says uh, on heroes and hero worship. Uh, However, Thomas Carlyle and a lot of other great people have, I think, created a great case on why this is the perfect place to start. So basically figure out who is it that you know or that you know from history that is kind of like an exemplar of humanity, how you want people to act, how you wish people would act, or if, you know, you can run some thought experiments in your head and think, okay, this is how I think Abe Lincoln would have treated me. Like as silly as that might sound like. So maybe I need to dive a little bit more into Abe Lincoln's career and maybe I need to check out his biography. He sounds like, you know, a pretty amazing guy. He was getting beat down by life. Just nonstop in his 40s was a complete failure. Uh, and then finally, somehow um, became president, basically, which is yep. obviously a simplification and, and know, a horrible note. simplification of uh, a great man's legacy and life. But, anyways, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, side note for anyone who hasn't listened to the story podcast or other podcasts, that's actually oh, yeah. where I get, you know, a lot of people that I had never heard of before. Yeah. We go into like their biographies and unknown backstories of them. And that makes me kind of think of like, what would this person do? which, you know, is very inspiring, especially when you hear about people's struggles and see how they got through it and everything.
0: Yeah, and so uh, a fun side note. So different people, whether it's been like Machiavelli or uh, Emerson would hold a Napoleon Hill too. That's another example.
1: I love Napoleon Hill.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, fun side note for anybody listening. Is this like a side note within a side note? It's like a dream within a dream. (laughs) Inception.
1: We're pulling Inception (laughs) on everyone right now.
0: (laughs) So the side note within a side note is... uh, Napoleon Hill if you haven't listened to his original tape recordings of a lot of his like lectures and sales trainings and things like that wait so not outside of thinking grow rich i think thinking grow rich is a bit overrated his other books and tapes and lectures are a lot of fun so i would recommend getting those on uh, audible or mp3 or youtube and uh, and listening to them yeah. so uh, backing it up to yeah. The spin the little dial. Is that note. what they
1: spin in Inception? Or what yeah, yeah.
0: They... No, no. no, no. Um, are yeah, we still shoot. going? What do they call that?
1: Oh, a dreidel? No. No, not like a dreidel? Yeah, no, no.
0: Like a top. Yeah, the, a dreidel. So that's that's for the, the Jewish holiday of, of Hanukkah.
1: <laughs> well, don't. <laughs> the festival of lights. Isn't that the spinny thing though or no?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, it's a top. I think they use. Uh, Fine.
1: Uh, I'll call balancing. it a top I
0: was just trying to think of the, the word that they, um, somebody's already.
1: I offended someone. No, no. <laughs>
0: Uh, I was just saying that people have already, like, let us know. People are going to let us know in the socials. Yeah, tell so us what it's called. Set, set us straight. What did they call that in, in Inception? And what was the original side note that I was trying to make? I, I thought I could pull it off, but it's, it's yeah, it's it's way too late here. Um, I'm sorry.
1: Maybe I can pull us back of, like, when it comes to curating, who do you look to? I, I know people oh, want an example. Oh, so the
0: side note within a side note <laughs> was Emerson and Machiavelli. That was the, the example of how they would hold counsel in the evening. So in their own rooms after they like retired for the day or, uh, you know, you don't have to talk in like old English like after i retired for the day, you don't have to talk like that. <laughs> I mean, but anyway.
1: I kind of want to from here on out now. So,
0: <laughs> but the point was they would hold counsel with the greatest minds throughout history. So they would imagine what the greatest person in the world would do or say, and they would literally talk back and forth and try to act out what their, their heroes w- would say. Um, and it's not always, um, you know, when I, when I say heroes too, I'm, t- I'm talking about a, a unisex term. Uh, I think that heroes is still, it's a great to, some, you know, encompass like humanity and kind of like leave sexes to the side and just say like, this is the, you know, we need a human ideal for how to act. Uh, and that is the fountainhead for all curation. So taking, very seriously the fact that people have came before and sacrificed blood, sweat, and tears in figuring this out and figuring what the best information sources are, and then going to those you know exemplars of moral, ethical, virtuous behavior and getting our information from those sources. So first and foremost, before any technology enters the equation, humanity. Humanity is the place to start. Um, humans that inspire you, that is the place to get your curated Do information from. You? tell me, Uh, give me a name. (laughs) Oh, so many, so many different people. So uh, a great example was it, and they don't have to be someone who is publishing a lot. So not many people know this, but Nietzsche. So Nietzsche is uh, somebody who inspires me. He's a genius and his, his work is, is very, um, very, very thought provoking. He's the type of philosopher that you can read and then come back to a year or two later and realize it wasn't that I didn't get it. It was that I was so uh, just so slow at that point in time. I didn't have the mental uh, skills. And I hadn't read enough books yet to fully comprehend what Nietzsche was trying to say. And so anyways, I would recommend Nietzsche, but not many people know that Nietzsche really was admired and completely obsessed with uh, a woman philosopher of his time. So this is going to, I'm not going to win any friends by saying this, but I'm blanking on the name of her. But I just found this out the other day uh, when my my friend Riva brought this to my attention and shout out to Reba if you're listening uh, but she mentioned that Nietzsche was basically obsessed and worshipped this woman and he thought that she was just like a a goddess and like these were these were his words and he thought that she was a genius and it wasn't for lack of him like he, he was already ha- he had his own struggles it wasn't like today where he could have put out a tweet and well you know nobody followed him in the, in those days
1: Nietzsche's gonna tweet <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he couldn't like put out a tweet and say hey like uh, I love the way this woman thinks type thing like it's and you know have it, have her blow up after that not gonna happen So, but anyways, um, that's a great example of like the person doesn't have to be recognized by the world yet. And that's where it gets so exciting because there are undervalued opportunities to find, um, you know, intellectual, moral, virtuous heroes to curate a lot of your information from that have not yet been fully recognized by the world. You can bet on them early uh, or you can decide to become one yourself and start to, that painstakingly slow process of filtering the information yourself. So humans are pattern matching and recognition machines. If we set a goal, we will start to find information that supports it. We will start to draw insights that support it. So curation works best when we have a clearly defined goal. Then when we encounter new inputs online and everything like that, we know mentally where to sort them, where to fit them in. And so I think that starting with humans is, by and large, the best strategy that most people are forgetting. Uh, and not just humans who are alive today, but humans who are, uh, yeah, who faced horrors and, and tragedies and overcame them. Uh, or maybe they did. They, it's not necessary. It's not a prerequisite that they went through horrible suffering. Although it's, you know, it seems like most. <laughs> most greats unfortunately do have to have to go through years and years or decades of torment sometimes their entire life before they're posthumously recognized. So it's a, it's a real struggle. But taking that mindset, basically like putting technology to the side and focusing on human-centric curation, that's invaluable.
1: Got it. So once you have the people that you're following, that you're kind of looking to for information, and then what after that?
0: I think that then the process starts of reading the source material that they recommend. So not just reading an article that they wrote or a short story, um, but finding the most obscure sources of you know what they how they got their inspiration basically. So find the the source of the source type thing. and so go back again and again and again. So go earlier in history and find out who inspired them to do what they did. Uh, and that's a fascinating exercise that along the way, you'll learn history and along the way too, you will, encounter a world that's just like either you know it's beyond belief and the great thing is this is a process of mind expansion where you can enter this world don't you know don't enter this world too with a, a mindset that historians have it all figured out or that they have anything figured out the majority of history could be completely wrong you know it's up until very recently it turns out that the pyramids are much older than anyone originally thought uh there's a recent archaeological uncovering in go Gobe- Tepe. I'm, I'm butchering the name that basically through everything archaeologists thought about how linear human progress happened on its head. And so the, the further you go back and the more that you can go back, find really, really good human curators. So a lot of this information about, you know, redating the pyramids and things like that came from uh, analyzing the early works of Plato. So some amateur historians actually you know, checked out what Plato said about when different things happen because he put a date to certain things. Uh, that was that was a small part in discovering I think Tepe and things like that. I don't know how much of it actually you know it played, but that's uh, an example. I might be uh, getting out in the territory of uh, rampant speculation, but um, there there are some interesting uh, interesting ideas there. The point being, um, go into the study of history and the Greats and this search with a childlike mind and basically, you know, take everything. It could be wrong. There's, there's no way to know for sure. And the fun and the risk of that is that you have to be the ultimate arbiter. And the more that you can place yourself as the, the curator for what's fake, what's real, uh, what's newsworthy and what is not, the more that you will be empowered, the more the best information will find you. And the more that you'll know what to do with that information when you get it.
1: And I also think it helps build trust in the people that you're following because you start looking does. at their source material and you're like, okay, like for example, what Dr. Rhonda Patrick, she's someone where I've- Amazing. At, yeah. So much of her source material, I'm like, girl, I trust you. Anything you tell me, health related, I know you're staying up on like the most, you know, the most recent studies and the research papers and she's doing her, her own research and- yeah. So I kind of just trust what she says on Twitter and same with, um,
0: and then at the same time too, it's not like, so you're not saying Steph, isn't saying like to have blind trust for anyone like that. And you definitely no, that's don't That's how I build up my trust in people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like, but as trust starts to compound, just like, you know, interest in a bank account does, because that's how it works with our interactions with people. Um, we can take more risks or they can take more, you know, we take more liberty in what they say. Uh, and the great thing is it reduces the cognitive overhead that is required when we process each statement for its validity or its usefulness. And that's, um, yeah, that's a, that's a great example.
1: Yeah. And I think it's a fun practice too, to kind of go through who you're following on Twitter. So I went through and like deleted a bunch of people. Uh, like, Pruning yeah, people is not necessity. <laughs> you guys don't say anything interesting. Goodbye. So then I just only follow the people that I cared about. And then when you start going through and looking at like, okay, what are they quoting or, you know, who do they keep retweeting? Well, maybe I don't really want to follow you anymore. I'm going to follow the person you keep retweeting because they're way more interesting than you. Yeah. No offense to anyone that I've unfollowed or deleted or whatever, but I mean, it's a good way to kind of keep the list shorter and just get the high quality source material that you're looking for in a way quicker manner.
0: Yeah. And I think that, curating and pruning and everything like that is is you just have to do it because you're not always the same person if you try to hold on to everything uh it doesn't work out well so you can't you can't hoard anything whether it's people whether it's belongings whether it's things um i think that the more we can mimic the biological processes around us the better off we'll be so when you prune a tree it comes back typically stronger than ever but pruning is something that developed over you know years of human interaction with nature. So it's something that is like, it's a very human-centric concept to help get the most from the biological world. So there's no reason that this shouldn't apply in our intellectual life. It's sound from a uh, biology perspective, from an evolutionary perspective. So chances are it will be sound when we apply it to information and the sources that we get our yeah. information from.
1: And if I leave people with four people... Or five that you follow <laughs> on Twitter that you're like this is a good person to follow. They give me good information. Give it to me. The mission <laughs> HQ. Okay. <laughs> Other than us.
0: And we're on Instagram too, which is uh, fun. Instagram, YouTube, uh, just about everywhere. And the yeah, the followers. Don't try and get are, out the followers of this. are, are, are uh, pouring in. So that's, they are yeah, pouring that's really in exciting. now. Tell me who you like. So for health, uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Yep. Hand, just hands down. I'm such such a big fan. I think that she is. Um, A decade, a a decade ahead of her peers, at least, if not more. Um, I think she's just incredible. I'll do
1: one for crypto. I love Laura Shin. So she has a podcast called Unchained. She's awesome. And yeah, she interviews the best people and asks the best questions. So she's great. Back to you. Number (laughs) three. Do you not like being put on the spot like this?
0: (laughs) No, it's, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's like, it's just, it's really, really hard to pick one. And I'm definitely not... um, so let me, let me go off of uh, categories for and from our newsletter. So um, let me keep it simple. So let's go to the, uh, the wealth section of right. our, just yeah run through and, and why we have these different topics. So these topics are generally kind of like, I, I view them as the, the foundation to, um, you know, long-term success, long-term ability to survive and thrive in a really, really tough world. So let's uh, jump to wealth. So for wealth, uh, this might come across as a cliche or it might come across as, you know, whatever. Uh, Jeff Bezos, hands down. So the world's richest man, you know, is that, uh, is that type like a first world thing? Is that, you know, naive or anything? Uh, and I don't think it is. I think it's uh, something where everybody wants to forget that 18 years ago, he was uh, driving to the post office in his rented Bronco, or not rented, sorry. I think they, they owned it, but basically like late model, late model Bronco. He was driving to the post office after scrambling around packaging boxes himself, after he was taking out uh, personal loans from the company and then like small personal loans and then paying them back um, after he was like working out of a rented garage. Everyone forgets that he was, it wasn't long ago that he was there and uh, maybe it wasn't 18, but whether it was 20 years ago, doesn't really matter. The point being. And he, working
1: with his wife, which is very important. Yeah.
0: And again, that's something that everyone uh, forgets from the story. But yeah, Mackenzie was, I think, number employee three, like doing the and accounting she built the and whole, doing the books. The whole business. and business. Yeah, definitely. And like she was more importantly, like do you <laughs> she was helping with kids and everything like that. And it's not saying that that's, you know, the, the correct or the perfect way. But man, you can't have four kids and become the world's richest man and still have a family that loves you and still find the time to take 30 day vacations uh, and run through billions of dollars of capital, burn it literally in failed experiments, uh, have your stock crash and then raise $2 billion in junk bonds, in junk bonds. That's like the worst type of financial raise ever. Um, And then even earlier to the early days when, you know, Jeff took $300,000 from his parents. uh, That's who weren't independently wealthy to get started. Uh, Then on top of that, Gave up twenty percent of the company to twenty angel investors mm-hmm. in the seed round. That takes a, a lot of guts to so keep going after that point. there are, Jeff. <laughs> there, I mean, well, there are plenty of uh, founders here in, in Silicon Valley who quit when they when they mm-hmm. give up. They literally stop working when they give up 20% of equity in the company, that happens all the time or they slow down or they figure out how to just kick by, invest and then sell their shares in the secondary market when they tap out uh, and then just go on to the next venture and just like leverage the past one, try to like sweep it under the rug or whatever. It's or just they like, don't
1: want to start it because they don't want to put their own money in it. I've heard that a lot too. Yeah. Like, and that, I don't want to start a company unless I raise money. I'm like, really? How so do you, many. How do you think we're getting by? Like,
0: Yeah, so many people, so many people. That is the case and it's just like, yeah, you got to, you know, study some examples. So for wealth, uh, it's Bezos.
1: Okay. Let's see. So one of my favorites just for, um, maybe like I call it comedy is Elon Musk for all the amazing things he's doing. He makes me laugh all the time. Yeah. For tech,
0: for satire. It's it's great. Yeah.
1: so I don't have a big long spiel about him. So, okay. Next one. Who's the last one for you?
0: I, so I follow, uh, Michael Crichton's estates account. Um, so the, uh, group of people, um, I'm not sure if his if his daughter owns or manages the estate, but uh, shout out to Taylor Crichton if you're listening. Uh, she f- followed me a while ago. Thank you. And I'm a huge admirer of Michael Crichton's work. And so following and seeing what his estate is doing, whether it's developing, you know, helping develop Westworld or it's putting out um, books that he didn't finish while he was alive, like Dragon's Teeth, they've done an excellent job. So it's really exciting to, you know, see... preservation of a person who wasn't appropriately recognized in his time Uh, and then people would look at like oh Jurassic World came out he's still doing great and everything in a sense he is but I think that Crichton's most profound ideas have gone completely ignored and the message behind Jurassic Park is either lost or has become so diluted that people don't know it and then the larger messages from his other books were just not appropriately valued and there's so many people that you, you know you talk to about like Uh, If you talk to somebody that has read Sphere or or things like that, they kind of miss the just, you know, monumental ideas in the end or else they don't really want to weigh in because the ideas are so staggering. Uh, And then if you read his biography travels, you'll find the same thing. Um, so yeah,
1: just I think we should do just a full bridal genius full on episode. I don't know. I don't Michael want to bore every, I don't want to
0: bore everybody with that but
1: we I mean you do love him. So. Well, So
0: some of the it, it does get interesting though because there is plenty uh there's plenty there's so much that's unknown that is just fascinating about some of these uh, some of these people. Well, there so, you go, an unknown episode. so yeah I think that the the biggest takeaway that I just want to leave everybody with is that as as a whole there's so many people in humanity as a whole that have fallen into the trap of they've seen the worst of us on the news. They've seen just horrors day in and day out. And like, we've got that. We understand that humans are capable of enormous evil. But of course, we are also capable of enormous good, maybe even more good than we can currently imagine. And I am much more excited and much more certain that humans now are going to usher in a golden age, an age of unprecedented opportunity, that's what the goal is. That's what the excitement is about. That's what we're working so hard to do. That's what we're working to mediate, yep. and that is what we need to be focused on. And along the way, we're going to get there by not letting the lessons, the hard-won lessons that geniuses from the past, and in many cases, people who are not ever recognized in their lifetime, you know these these wis- you know, this wisdom and this just wonderful knowledge and gnosis that they've transmitted throughout the ages let's take advantage of that. and Let's view people as great ways to curate and great ways to get inspiration and maybe even go so far as to uh, worship them in a sense that we appropriately value their struggles and incorporate them into our own life.
1: Yep. So if you have any, for any, all of our listeners, if you have anyone that we should be following or that you look up to, tweet at us at the Mission HQ. We would love to hear um, who we should be following because we're always open to yeah, new people to and help us, us curate.
0: And also, if you haven't signed up for the missions newsletter yet, we send it out on Monday through Friday. It is packed with uh, the latest news that matters, whether it's health, wealth, wisdom, technology trends, marketing trends, education trends, tips, trivia. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. And uh, you should be reading it if you're not. All
1: right. Have a great week, everyone. All right. Later.